0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO. I'm your host. Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network, conversations throughout the world of sports, typically basketball, with experts, players, coaches, front office executives, you name it. We try to to bring you interesting experiences, bits of nuggets to help coaches, student athletes, parents on their journey in the athletic world. Today's guest, someone who's grew up in the Southern California area, has spent some time with family in Hawaii, has a lot of Northwest connections, somebody I got to know a few years back, and somebody who I really respect the way that they view the game, the way they teach the game. Quite frankly, I'm excited to hear of some of his uh, deeper philosophies of the game and some of his experiences teaching the game, Clint Parks. Clint, I know you're down in the L.A. area. How goes life for you? You must be pretty excited considering the Lakers just sealed the NBA championship the other night.
0: Thanks for having me on, Dan. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I've always been a big fan of yours, going back to um, when you watching you play against Pepperdine, and it's a long, long time ago now. It feels like for you, probably, but man, everything's good. I mean, um, to see Kuz win an NBA championship is um, really exciting um, for him. Even though I was, I'm, I'm honestly, I was I thought the Clippers would win because you know Kawhi's my guy, and so I mean, but to see Kuz get a ring in his third year and it's um, exciting, and people here are very, very excited, especially a lot of the kids I've trained, they're, they're, um, they're lifelong Laker fans.
1: Yeah, I can imagine the excitement. I spent a year with the Clippers, and there is absolutely a difference in how people view the Lakers versus the Clippers. I think the Clippers really started to, to quiet or kind of shrink that gap, but now with the Lakers winning, it's going to be kind of a canyon for Clippers fans Uh, to kind of overcome in the near future unless the Clippers can win one soon. You mentioned a couple guys. Kyle Kuzma just won a title. Kawhi Leonard is someone who you've worked with uh, since they were fairly young. Uh, Tony Snell is another guy that you worked with who spent some time in the NBA. When you go back to your time in Southern California and you began training players and running an AAU program, What were some of the things that you tried to build your program or your philosophy upon? Because I can only imagine in L.A. there is so much talent that the top AAU programs are going to just, quote, unquote, act like vultures and try to take take the top guys, throw them together, and win with talent as opposed to build the player. Uh, What was your philosophy when you built your your training program and your teams?
0: It was almost along the lines of, like, sort of with – like you see at like San Diego state and Gonzaga, like a mid-major program where it's, you're not going to get the best guy because we don't have a shoe. We are independent. We didn't have a shoe deal, but it's like, okay, let me find the, let me, let me go out. It's, it's defined and develop model pretty much and model. And it's, uh, let me find the kid who has talent, obviously, because you got to have talent. We all know that. And then let's try to mold them and try to teach them the game and try to get the best out of them. And, you know, like, it's finding kids that, that really love the game and want to work hard. And that was what we kind of like. I've always, you know, I think I'm pretty good at being able to evaluate players and be able to see, and then you, you get to know a kid. Okay. Does he really love basketball? That's the first thing. Do you love basketball? And so you try to find guys that love the game first and foremost, they don't love what the game can bring them. You know, that's a big difference. You play in the NBA, so you know, a lot of guys love what the game can bring them, but they don't truly love the game. And so, you're not going to develop. You're not going to reach your full potential. So, we just try to find guys that are sleepers, that are under the radar, and then just implementing, just pushing them every day and getting them to understand the work you got to put in. This is a sick, like, to get to the level you got to, I tell guys, this, it's six days a week. It just is. You want to get to college and you want to play afterwards. Like, all the guys that I've had success, that I've seen have success, whether it be the highest level of the NBA or working with somebody like Corey Higgins. Who's playing with Barcelona right now? They're they're committed to it nonstop, and it's not just it's, it's it's you're you're obsessed with it. And so that's what I've always tried to do is find guys that really want to work at it and that that love the game.
1: Well, you found a couple guys uh, in the Riverside area that wanted to work the game and love the game, and and you and I have talked about this uh, at, at different times since we got to know each other a few years back, uh, and I'm talking in, in regards to Tony Snell and Kawhi Leonard, you know. Riverside is outside of LA by an hour or maybe a little bit more. They don't have, you know, maybe the amount of opportunities that somebody from LA has to, to play in the amount of events or get the exposure, but you pinpointed those guys early. They trusted you. They believed in you and you shared them with them a plan that if they worked at it, they might have opportunities to further their careers. When you find found guys like that, What's your, what's your sole focus? I know you talked a little bit about big picture philosophy of work, but when you talk about the details of the game, what was important for you when you began working with those guys?
0: It's really just step one, man. Every day. It's, it's, it's the basics. It's um, it's starting out with stuff like being able to use your left hand, being able to be um, having a good shot fake, knowing how to use your, knowing having, having, um, having good footwork in the paint. You know, learning how to play off of two feet, you know, Mike and drill, being able to pass. And then just a lot of this stuff is mundane. You know this. And I, I, I had a conversation with Casey Jacobson. Um, I think it might have been like two years ago now almost or a year ago. And he was like, man, I really, when I, was, when I was coming up and he was like, I was doing the same stuff every day over and over and over and over. Not, you know, a lot of guys get caught up in, um, I did this today. Well, I don't want to do it tomorrow because it's boring. I wanna do something different. No, so the only way to master something is to do it day after day after day. And that's what we try to that's what I did with all all of my guys, to be quite frank, is just you pound it and you and, and you're doing it so much. It's like we heard with Kobe Bryant. You're doing it so much over and over again to where you get to the game and it's just second nature. Like you know, you know if I get to a certain spot or if I get here, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm gonna make this shot. I'm gonna be able to create this for myself or for my teammates. And that was something that you know, those guys bought into is is accepting that you know what it's not going to be. It's not always going to be fun. Every workout's not going to be. Oh, I had the most fun today. And I try to get guys to understand to understand this. Dan is that you know what's fun is stepping on that court and knowing you're the best player and nobody can guard you, no matter what they do. That's fun. Getting in the game and not being able to get your shot off or having to go to the corner and somebody else create for you. And being the guy that can never create his own shot, that's not fun. And so the only way you're gonna get to your game to that point is to do the little things. It's not always about being as you know. I don't want to keep harping on that, but you weren't the tallest, the most athletic, you didn't jump the highest, you know, but you you think the game, when you're able to think the game and, and your fundamentals are sharper than everybody else's, you're gonna get you're gonna get places on the court that a lot of guys can't get because they don't have those tools.
1: You're so right, and the great players love the preparation. The great players love the little details um, because the little details, when you stack them on each other daily, that creates a a tremendous foundational base for a game to really blossom and grow and have an opportunity. You don't see that with a lot of trainers, and what you see with a lot of coaches is be leery of many quote-unquote skills trainers because of the lack of what you just mentioned. The, the, the attention to detail, the focuses, the footwork. When you have a player that um, is beginning to be recruited to the college level, and you're, I'm sure, a sounding board many times for the high school coach, many times for, for the player and the parents, um, how do you try to impress upon a college coach that might be leery of somebody like yourself, a skills trainer, to share with them that you're working on the things that are going to translate to the next level for that player.
0: I think. I think the biggest thing for me is that obviously people that follow me on social media. You see the videos I post. You see the stuff I talk about. And over time, when when before everything kind of took off, it was just you know you just try to let players. You try to let coaches know at the front door like who you are, what you're about. You know you're honest and upfront. And then when and then when my guys get there when they get to school, I'm still always involved. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, they get to college and now you're just on your own. No, because once you get to college, there's a whole nother level of work that's involved to be able to succeed at that level. And so it's always letting the coaches know, like, these are the things we're working on in the off season. And then I'm going to I'm gonna be at practice. I want to be able to come to practice. I want to be able to watch to see what you guys are working on. And And knowing that, you know, the most important thing in training is knowing that. I tell people this all the time. Coaches control playing time, not trainers. So the more we work hand-in-hand hand, and you being able, me being able to help the kid develop and become good at what the coach wants, because ultimately what he wants is what's going to get you on the floor and keep you on the floor, not what I want. And so as long as that, when they know that and they, they know that, that you understand that as a trainer, and then everything else kind of is easier from there for me because they, they know, like, okay, now you understand that, at the end of the day, you're working individually with this player, but when the game starts, he has to be able to fit in a system.
1: Absolutely believe in that. What you mentioned, the player has to fit in the system, and the fact that some of the coaches that you are are have had players go to play for uh, are willing to share with you for other workouts. Hey. If this works on this and this, he's going to have a chance to get some minutes. He's going to have a chance to win games. Because the bottom line, you know, head coaches, they want to win games. Assistant coaches, they want to keep building their resume so maybe they, they have a chance to be a head coach down the road. Now, you're somebody who mentioned you grew up in the Riverside. You spent some time in, in Hawaii because of family. You've also got some Northwest roots where you spent some time at a couple different community colleges and I know one of the coaches at the community college level has been influential in a lot of young coaches' lives. And that's Carl Howell, who spent a number of years at TCC. He was at Eastern Washington for a while, and now he's at Skagit Valley. Who would you say, and it doesn't have to be Carl Howell if it's not, but who would you say your biggest coaching mentors are that kind of helped develop a love to teach the game as opposed to just play the game as all kids did, such as you and I growing up?
0: I would probably say, um, I would, probably say Carl, um, former Lake Washington coach John Polaris. He gave me my first coaching job, um, C team basketball at Calabasas. I think it was 2010. Um, um, Larry Shiat, um, Scott Duncan, uh, Justin Hudson at Fresno State. Um, obviously, I went to and, and Carl as well because Carl gave me my first college job, just learning learning the college game, learning um, – I mean, I've been around the college game, but learning it as from a coaching standpoint, um, really learn the intensity, like how hard and how hard guys have to play at all times and learning what college – coach. just being around all of those guys and at the same time going to school at Wyoming and finishing school there and being around the program. Um, my first year there, we went to the tournament that year with Larry Nance. And so just seeing – I mean, Larry Shia won two national championships – at Florida. And so just seeing the attention to detail, like, you know, everyone knows why I basketball at that time was defense, defense, defense. You know, there was not really a big, we're not offensive school. So just seeing different, different approaches from different people, how they, how they um, approach different situations. And like you said, the preparation, and I think a lot of it was for me, um, Dan, that's helped me so much because you see the game from a coach's standpoint. You know, when, when you see the game, when you, co- a lot of trainer, a lot of coaches, I know that college coaches, their thing is with trainers is just like, you know, like it's not an individual game. It's a team game. So if you're just constantly seeing it from the trainer's perspective, like they're, they're coaches, you know, like you have to be able to um, know, know how, how does your, how the player you're training, how does his game fit in the team concept? Like I just said earlier, like, and so being around those guys, and just learning from them and having keeping that in mind at all times. Like, I want to help a kid further his skill set but at the same time when he gets in the team setting, be able to know when and when not to pick his spots, you know, like when to facilitate, when to score, you know, and just learning different nuances of the game because it's not it's – got to be able to play with four other guys on the court. You just have to. Uh,
1: yeah, very well said in regards to – taking individual concepts, building them into a team concept for success. Now there's lots of of coaches that get their start in player development and then move on into more of a traditional coaching role, whether at the college or the NBA level. Uh, you found a niche right now with the training, and you seem to love it from, from all of our past conversations, um, that that's where, you know, your passion is. What does – the future hopefully hold for Clint parks for, for you, would you like to stay in the training role? Uh, is there interest in getting into, a, 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 a I, I hate to use the word normal call a coaching role, but something like that would interest you if it was the right opportunity.
0: I mean, it's, it's crazy. Cause before I, when, I, when I went back to school, everything was like geared towards, I want to coach. And then you get around it and you're around it and you see like, until you're around college coaches, on a daily, you realize that it's not really what it's cracked up to be. And every situation is different, you know, but you're also, I think the older I've gotten, man, like quality of life is important. You know, obviously you know that with a family. I hope to have a family of my own one day. And for me, like there's only like the only college job where I'm like, oh, like I would do it for sure. I would go is University of Hawaii because that's like, that's home for me. But other than that, man, like being able to choose your own schedule, being able to do other things outside of basketball when you want to and you're not constantly, Oh, you got to come check on this kid or you got to go do this or you got to get this transcript, you know, like you don't have like, that's when, when you're a college coach, your freedom is limited. And right now for me, quality of life is everything. And, you know, you've got good kids and I got a good, um, obviously COVID and everything hit. So it's not what it usually is, but, um, I got two former players that I work with in and Kawhi Leonard right here on the, the the LA team. So it's like to have those guys is being able to like, that's on my resume. So it's like continue to build and do other things and travel, man. But I like to, you know, I like to get out and go see my guys play in Europe and, and got different guys playing in, in college and be here and be there. And you don't have that. You can't do that when you're coaching at a college or even the NBA team. Like, it's year-round, nonstop. And it's – for me, I like being able to watch guys be able to take a kid when he's young and move them up, move them up, move him up. That's the challenge for me. And I tell people this all the time. No, There's a lot of great trainers. But could nobody tell me it's – like, it's like Dan for me. Someone saying they met you when you were your senior year at Gonzaga. Like, those were, like, at that point, you were already, like, you were Dan Dickow. Like, everyone knew you were you, you, you were the one of the premier point guards in college basketball. That's not really different could nobody come say that, oh, I developed Dan Dickow? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Coach Hort would look at you, look at them like, huh? Like, now, if you say I started working with Dan maybe when he was a ninth grader at Prairie or eighth grader, and then I brought him up, you know, we were able to work out when he's at UW and then move on to Gonzaga, like, for me, that's – that's, that's, that's the fun part for me, and that's what I enjoy the most. Yeah,
1: there's, uh, there, there's a lot of truth in, in that comment when you look at the basketball world, um, especially on social media, where, where people claim this is my guy and they've worked him out one time or may have rebounded uh, one time as opposed to to really pouring their knowledge, pouring their love for for the game into someone to help give them an opportunity or prepare them for an opportunity. You know, there's one phrase that always sticks with me about the game of basketball right now, and that's that the game is undertaught and overcoached. Um, and I think that's a nice blend of talking about trainers and coaches coming together uh, with the, this, a similar skill set of how the game should be played. Um, if in your mind when you look at the, the, co- the coaching fraternity, whether it's the NBA or whether it's college – is there one coach that jumps out to you when I make that comment the game is undertaught and overcoached that you think that a coach has that perfect blend of
0: both? Man, I would say right now it'd probably be, after watching the bubble, it'd probably be um Eric Spulster. You know, when you watch when you watch the way the young guys play, you know, you obviously I guess you play in the league, so you know. Like when you watch Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Harrow, you know Duncan Robinson, you watch the way those guys. Like he's not overcoaching them, but they, they they get the they get the heat principles, they get the culture, they understand the importance of playing hard every night. But they're at the same time they're allowed to play with a certain level of, of, of freedom that you don't see from rookies in most standpoint, in most cases, you know, let alone undrafted guys. You know, like you just don't see that That's rare. And so for him to be able to, you know, for Coach Fulcher to be able to get so, as much as he did out of those guys and only their first year for Harrow as a pro, first year in the NBA for none and Duncan, but second year as pros, but to be able to have them competing at that level, like you don't play at that level with that much confidence if your coach is overcoaching, if he's analyzing every, every shot you take. Like, how many you, you heard all playoffs? Um, Jimmy Butler and Spoelstra telling the media, Duncan has to shoot more. Come on, man. Imagine if you were constantly your rookie year, you're performing in the NBA, your coaches are constantly going, and your star players are constantly saying, Dan, you got to get up 10 to 15 threes in a game. We I need mean, you to it's, shoot more.
1: It's, it's, it's a, a tremendous point that you make, and, and you know, I. I 100% agree with uh, Coach Spolstra. I, I think he's been overlooked for, for a few years regardless because, yeah, he's had some talented teams. But this year in, in watching what he's done and, and getting those guys to peak at the right time and getting guys to buy in and play with, as you mentioned, the heat way and with that heat culture um, was fun to watch. I think he's a tremendous coach. And the nice thing for for me is he's a Northwest guy. He's from the Portland area. Mm-hmm. I remember as a young kid going to University of Portland pilot basketball camps and he was one of uh, one of the coach counselors, you know, doing the two ball dribbling at the center center court. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's been a fun journey to follow with his career. That's for sure. I well, last question that I want to pose to you. And, and I know you are a, a big advocate of Kawhi Leonard, somebody that you have have, have worked with since a young age. And I want to take him out of the equation, and I want to take probably the, uh, well, this reigning finals MVP, and LeBron James, out of the equation. Because I think, quite frankly, if you put either one of those two on the team or you give someone the first pick, those are the easy ones. People are going to take one or the other. Take those guys out. Who are you building an NBA franchise around right now?
0: Who am I building an NBA franchise around right now? Luca.
1: Wow, I love that comment. Uh, you know, I I, I I agree with that. I believe in that. I think his skill, his size, his strength, uh, his competitiveness
0: uh, are off the charts. I'd love to hear a little bit more about why. Um, just I was one of those guys coming into the when he was coming in. I was like, he's not gonna. I was I because everyone kept telling me, you know, I watched him a lot when he was in the Euroleague, but it was just like, is he gonna be able to translate? We've seen so many guys fall on their face from Europe, but it was like, is he gonna be Dirk or is he gonna be Darko? You know, like, you just don't know. And to, to see him come over and the way he's able to um, get to wherever he want to get to on the floor and his vision, the passes he can make, um, his body just unafraid of the moment, you know, regardless of who he's, who's in front of him, you know, the bigger <clears throat> the bigger the game, the better he played. it showed that in the playoffs. And you know that you need to have someone. Size is still important. We saw that. In, we saw that in the playoffs. The Lakers' size still matters. You can't go small. You know, but you need to have you need to have someone that's dynamic with that ball in their hands at all times. You know, like you, you see with Giannis, as talented as he is, not being able to shoot. You know, not being really creative, creative with the ball, more of an overpowering guy with the ball, like. You're going to get stuck at times when you play like that. Like, Luca never gets stuck. He never gets stuck. Like, whether it's his footwork bailing him out, whether it's his ability to make tough shots, floaters, play pick and roll, play one on one, there's just nothing he can't do with the ball in his hands. And at that age, it's almost like you forget what is he, 20? He's something
1: like 20, you know, 20. 20. 21,
0: 22,
1: yeah. at the absolute most. Yeah. It's impressive. You know?
0: how young he is it's like come on man you you look at that guy the only the only thing if you're nitpicking i would say is i want to i want to eventually see him get in great shape physically because i think he could be he'd be be even more of a monster but there's just nothing you know there's nothing he can't do
1: well i love the breakdown of that game uh I, i love the concepts and the thoughts that you shared with our guests today to listen about player development and the importance of pouring into them continually and getting them to understand a coach's bigger vision and how you can fit in and really help players accentuate their game and build out a tremendous role for them, whether it's at the college ranks or at the pros. So for today's episode of the ISO, our guest has been Clint Parks. Clint, we really appreciate you joining. Thanks again and have a great day.
0: You too, brother. Thanks for having me on.